0: Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Let's open up our Bibles to Psalm the fifty-fifth chapter. Psalm chapter fifty-five is where we're going to begin. Begin what I believe will be a most timely lesson. Be lots of Bible this morning. I think you'll be greatly benefited by looking in the scriptures and following along together for these next few minutes. As you're turning to Psalm 55, I'll just echo the welcome that's already been extended to you. What a fine number we do have gathered together here on this really quite beautiful Lord's Day morning. The sun is shining and uh, it's just a great day for us to be able to be out together, whether you're visiting with us or whether you're a member here at Lakeside. Just so glad and appreciative of your presence and your participation. You need to know that you're an encouragement to the people that are around you, but most importantly of all, you are honoring and pleasing the Lord right now. Let's read together in the Word of God. This is Psalm 55. I'm reading here beginning in verse 4. There the psalmist says, My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me and horror overwhelms me. And I say, Oh, that I had wings like a dove, I would fly away and be at rest. That almost sounds like it could have been written yesterday, doesn't it? We're less than four days removed from yet another mass shooting in our country. This time it was a high school in South Florida where 17 teachers and students were shot and killed. Last year it was a church in East Texas where 26 were shot and killed. And it was a concert in Las Vegas where 58 were gunned down and hundreds more were injured. The year before that, it was a nightclub in Orlando where 48 or 49 people were brutally murdered. And you can add onto that list, you can keep adding names like San Bernardino, Virginia Tech, Sandy Hook Elementary, and Columbine, just to name a few. It seems as if every week there is some new horrific story of crime, violence, or terrorism. Stories of a bomb being set off in a subway or a random gunman entering into a movie theater or maybe a teenager pulling out an automatic weapon and unloading it on all of his classmates. These senseless acts of violence, they are becoming more and more common. They're becoming an all-too-frequent occurrence in our country. And of course, none of that can really be escaped at a time when our media just swarms on those events when they happen. They swarm them with just non-stop coverage, sensationalistic, breaking news, this just in, another murder, this just in, another bombing, this just in, another mass shooting. We hear all of that and we're inundated with all of that and it's, It's almost more than we can bear. In fact, it causes our hearts to cry out what David cried out here in verse 6. Oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would just fly far away from here if I could. But you know, if we are distressed by all of the violence and bloodshed that plagues our land, then who among us is sure to be the most stressed and the most fearful? I think that would have to be I think that would have to be our children, wouldn't it? Because they are the ones who are hearing and seeing and wondering and trying to make sense of this violent violent world that they find themselves in. You know, when I was a kid, I can remember doing tornado drills at school, which were pretty terrifying in and of themselves. The thought of a storm coming through and damaging and hurting our school building and even hurting us as students. Kids in school today, they do active shooter drills. What? What kind of society are we living in that that would even be necessary? And more importantly than that, how do we explain that to our kids? What do we say to our children as they're trying to navigate through these perilous times that we live in? You know, we pray that prayer, God, guard, guide, and direct us. But let's be honest, sometimes it doesn't feel like we're very guarded, does it? And so what is it that Christian parents are to do? You know, it's hard enough raising children to know and love and serve the Lord. That's hard enough on its own. How in the world do you do that parenting thing in the middle of this godless and violent culture we live in when so much is happening around us that has the power to destroy the faith of, yes, even a young child? When children are caused to ask questions like, why did God allow that to happen? Where was God when that bad man pulled out his gun? What's the point of us praying if God isn't going to answer them in the way that we ask? What do we say to our kids? What do we need to tell our children about crime and terrorism and violence so that they don't lose their faith? And then maybe on an even more fundamental level, what do we say to our kids when the look on their face or maybe even just the words out of their mouth are, Mom? Dad? I'm scared. What do we say? Well, this morning, I want to equip us, whether you're a parent or whether you're just somebody who has influence on children, I want to equip all of us from the Word of God with four affirmations that I believe kids absolutely need in perilous times as these. Four affirmations that we need to give to our kids. In fact, four affirmations we need to give to ourselves so that we are able to successfully navigate through The harsh realities of the world in which we live. And I think that needs to just begin with an understanding of where all these atrocities come from. You know, if you turn on any of the 24-hour news networks, you'll find talking heads debating and fighting back and forth endlessly about what is the source of all of society's ills. And you know what? As Christians, we know, don't we? They may not know, but we know and so we need to be able to, number one, we need to be able to affirm that crime and violence in this world, they are the result of sin. That is the source. Would you find in your Bibles Genesis chapter four? In Genesis four, let's just start at the beginning. This is the very first recorded act of violence in this world's history. I'm reading in Genesis chapter four, beginning in verse six. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why? Excuse me, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain then spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. The Bible shows us horrible crimes right from the very beginning. And from the very beginning, it labels that as sin. In fact, not only does the Bible call such things sinful, the Bible even helps us to know about the origin of such things. Look in the New Testament now, in John chapter 8. In John chapter 8, as Jesus is responding to the Pharisees here, in John chapter 8, Jesus says in verse 44, In John 8 and in verse 44, Jesus says, "...you are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires." He, the devil, was a murderer from the beginning. And he has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. Where does all of this come from? The murders, the kidnappings, the bombings, the shootings, where do they come from? They come from the devil. He was a murderer from the beginning, Jesus says. In fact, Jesus takes that another step further. Would you look in Matthew, the 15th chapter? In Matthew chapter 15, as Jesus is answering some of the questions that His disciples had, in Matthew 15, look in verse 19. In Matthew 15 and in verse 19, Jesus says there, For out of the heart, out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, Adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. Jesus says that when people do evil things, they're doing that because they have evil hearts. When people's hearts are filled with sin and sinful thoughts, then it is not long before they then act out those corrupted and sinful desires. And we need to know that. And we need to be ready to say that. We need to be ready to arm our children and to tell them that these things that they're seeing happening in their world, these things are sinful. That they come from the devil. And that they are produced out of evil and wicked hearts. It's not the gun's fault. It's not society's fault. The problem is not I got fired from my job and that's why I went up into the tower and started shooting. No! Why do people do horrific acts of crime and violence? They do it because they are sinners, because they are selfish, because they are self-centered and they do their evil deeds because their heart is full of evil. And our job as parents is to help our kids to see things from a biblical perspective, to see things from God's viewpoint. And from God's viewpoint, all of these evil deeds that are happening in our world, they will be brought into judgment. In fact, I want to just show you that because that's a common theme throughout the entire Bible. I want to show you that from the beginning and the middle and the end. Look in Genesis chapter 9. In Genesis chapter 9, as God makes His covenant with Noah, this is after the flood, God says to Noah, Genesis chapter 9, look in verse 6, He says as part of the covenant, "...whoever sheds the blood of man..." By man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. That is God's verdict on people who would commit murder and shed blood innocently. That's what he said at the very beginning of the Bible. Now look maybe kind of at the middle of your Bible. Look in Psalm 5. In Psalm chapter 5, here David is writing. In Psalm 5, look in verse number... Verse number 5. In Psalm 5 and verse 5, David writes, "...the boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies." Notice this, "...the Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man." Once more in this connection, look to the end of your Bible. Look in Revelation 21. In Revelation chapter 21, what will happen to those who murder and unjustly take another person's life. In Revelation 21, look in verse 8. There the Bible says, Revelation 21, 8, But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. You see, the problem in our world is a sin problem. We are living in a society that has largely pushed God and pushed His Word out of the picture. And as a result, what we have today is we have a lot of selfish sinners who are sinning. That is God's verdict on the matter and God has plans for people who would do such things. And the more and more that God and His Word are pushed away then it should not surprise us that the more and more people will do sinful things. And as parents, we need to be ready to say frankly and to just say up front that these things that are happening in our world, they are wrong. God has said so. They are not glamorous. They are not cool. They are not fun, even though violence in the movies and in the video games is depicted that way. In fact, violence and bloodshed, have you thought about this? They are singled out in Scripture as being one of the things that God especially hates. Do you know that? Would you look at Proverbs 6, please? In Proverbs chapter 6, in the Bible there are a handful of sins that really just seem to get more ink than any other. Sexual immorality is one of those. Idolatry is one of those. But I want you to notice as well that violence and bloodshed is one of those. In Proverbs chapter 6, look in verse 16. There the wise man says, There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to Him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood. These crimes are sinful and they are wrong. And yes, I am aware that sometimes there can be mental health questions that surround these crimes. But I want to say clearly that most of the time, and especially as we're trying to help little kids to simplify and to understand, I think we can just tell it like it is. That these crimes represent sinful people doing sinful things. Let's just stand with the Scriptures on that. Let's just tell the truth about that. That people are responsible for their own conduct. And God is going to judge them accordingly. Let's reassure our children that no one, no bad person, no shooter, no murderer, no terrorist will ever get away with that. Because someday all will stand before God in absolute and final judgment. And on that day He will meet out perfect justice. While so many people today are making seemingly just every kind of excuse for why these people are doing these bad things, as Christians, we know. And we need to say what these things are. They are the result of sin. Which brings me to the second point this morning. And that is that despite all of the wickedness that's happening that terrifies our hearts so much, we need to secondly affirm to our children That we do not have to be overcome with fear and with worry. Let's just listen to Jesus here. Look in Matthew the 6th chapter, please. In Matthew chapter 6, here in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus addresses the kinds of things that many times cause us to have anxious hearts. And I want you to notice, first of all, just how sternly Jesus talks about anxiety and worry. And particularly the reason why he talks so sternly, and that is because he wants to make the point that followers of Jesus, we are different from the rest of this world. How we react to situations and things is going to be different than the way that people who are not serving God react to those things. In Matthew chapter 6, look at verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? He then starts to give some examples. Look at the birds of the air. God takes care of them. Verse 27, which of you by being anxious can even add a single hour to his span of life? Verse 28, why are you anxious about your clothes? God clothes the lilies of the field, takes care of all of them. Verse 30, now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will He not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, verse 31, don't be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? Verse 32, now, for the Gentiles, the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Jesus says that there is just a different mindset for those of us who are trusting in the Lord. We are going to be involved, verse 33, in seeking first the kingdom of God in His righteousness. And why is that going to be our singular focus? Because, verse 34, we are not consumed with what may or may not happen tomorrow. What Jesus says is He says that God's people do not let worry paralyze us, immobilize us. We are not going to go home and crawl and hide under our bed for fear of what some bad man may or may not do to us. I think about the Apostle Paul. And I think about all of the uh, threats that were made against him. And in fact, even some of the actions, the evil things that were done to him, the, 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 the beatings that he suffered, and even the attempts to take his life, all that was done against him. And yet, Paul still traveled everywhere fearlessly, it seemed, spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I recognize, get up here and say, we don't need to be worrying and we don't need to be fearful. I realize that needs some balance put on it. We want to be honest about that. Let me just say, first of all, I think there's a place for us to acknowledge when we are fearful. That's that passage we began with in Psalm chapter 55. What did the psalmist say there? He said, I am afraid. He just said that. There are going to be times when we're going to feel legitimate fear in our hearts. And you know what? It's okay to acknowledge that. And even more so, it's okay for us to talk to God about that. And then as well, I should say, I think there's some things that we can do to ensure our safety. You know, trusting in God does not mean that we just kind of then bumble about and we just start putting ourselves purposely in harm's way. No, I think about great examples in the Bible. I think about Nehemiah who was given an armed escort in order for him to travel safely to where he was going. Alright, think about Jesus. Whenever he learned that the Jews were seeking to kill him, Jesus avoided going into Jerusalem. That was prudent on his part. You see, being a Christian does not mean that we act foolishly and we just walk right into the hands of evil people. No, We do all that we can to prevent that. The Lord has built within us, we are creatures, that we have amazing responses and reflexes for self-preservation. That's called just being wise. In fact, I think about in the beginning of the book of Proverbs, in Proverbs chapter 1, it begins with just some wise counsel, especially for young people, that young people, you need to be careful about who you make friends with. Don't be running around with people who are eager to shed blood. What the proverb writer is saying is he's saying, pay attention. Pay attention to who you're around. Pay attention to your surroundings and what you're doing. Stay away from dangerous situations. That's just being smart. That's just common sense. But even as I say all of that, acknowledge our fears, we can take precautions to preserve our lives. At the end of the day, still, we're not going to worry about things that we cannot control. And I say that because it seems that whenever one of these terrible events occur in our world, there is a strong temptation to allow those things to just dominate our every waking thought and to dominate our attention. We end up obsessing about it. We start imagining a million different scenarios where it's ourselves or it's our loved ones who was the victim instead of somebody else. We get consumed with all of those, those what-if questions. What if a shooter came into our church building? What if someone brought a gun into our school? What we end up doing is we end up worrying and worrying and worrying about something over which we have very little, if any, control at all. And of course, this is exactly what our media feeds on, doesn't it? They stay in business, I think. Because they're able to report seemingly every day on some new threat or maybe just the rumor of a new threat. And far too often we just kind of go right along with all the rest of the sheep and we feed in to that panic and that hysteria. We've got to do better than that. Jesus demands better of us than that. That's not what disciples do. And as parents we need to help our kids with that. Help our kids to rise above the culture of worry. That we're not going to worry about things that are beyond our ability to control. We're going to remind our kids of several things. We're going to remind them, for one, we're going to remind them that people mostly and basically are good. I realize that there are exceptions to that, but I think on the whole, there are good people everywhere. And I realize that stories about someone returning a lost wallet Or stories about someone pulling on the side of the road and helping another person fix a flat tire. I realize that those don't exactly bring big ratings for CNN and for Fox News. But you know what? Just because the news media is all fixated over here on bad people doing bad things, that does not negate the fact that our world is still full of a lot of people. Good people who are doing good things. We want to remind our kids about that instead of allowing all these imaginary concerns that many times have been inflated by all of these outside influences, instead of allowing those things to seize our children's hearts with worry and with fear, what we need to do is we need to fill up their hearts with faith and with trust and with confidence in the eternal God of heaven. In fact, here's your verse about that. Look in Psalm 27. In Psalm chapter 27, as David is writing this, his life is seemingly in danger. In Psalm chapter 27, when wicked men sought to kill David, David wrote these words in Psalm 27 verse 1. He says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who will stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. Yes, we take precautions. And then yes, we trust the Lord. What else can we do? Now, of course, all of that sounds pretty good. But in a minute, somebody, somebody's kid is going to ask that really tough question. They're going to ask the question of why? Why did God allow that to happen last week in Florida? Now, if you have real little kids, then maybe these first two points that we've covered, maybe that'll be enough to kind of appease them. But as kids grow up and as they start connecting some dots, they're going to start asking the more difficult questions. They're going to ask why... Did God let those bad men fly those planes into the World Trade Center towers? Why didn't God stop that shooter from entering into that movie theater? Why are these bad things allowed to happen? What are we going to say when those questions are asked? I'll remind you that that question of why, it's been asked for a very long time. It's not anything new. It's been asked by great men like Job and Asaph and Habakkuk. And many more. And while there are certainly some things that we can know for certain about God's character and about God's conduct and about God's workings within our universe, I think there's going to come a point where we're just going to need to be honest with our kids. And we're going to need to just affirm to them, thirdly, that we don't always know why God does what He does. Now, I realize that may seem like a cop-out answer to some, but it's an absolutely honest answer. We do not know. And we do not understand everything that God is doing or even everything that God is not doing. The prophet Isaiah made that very point in Isaiah 55 verses 8 and 9 when he said that God's ways and God's thoughts, they are so much higher than our ways and our thoughts. And we need to just acknowledge that. We don't know why all the bad things in our world are allowed to happen. And you know what? There may come a point that we just never even know. And you don't know why? Because we're not God. I would remind you that Job spent a good chunk of his life questing for the answer to the why question. And even though God did a lot of things to, to help Job along the way, God did lots of things to kind of give Job a little bit of understanding, at no point, Did God just kind of stop off and say, okay, Job, right here, this is why this happened and it led to this and here's why I think... God doesn't do that for Job. God does not explain Himself to human beings. But here's the key for us. Even though we have questions and even though we don't always understand the, the activity of God whenever crime and violence and terrorism takes place, I want to reiterate that God is not to blame when those things happen. I need to say that again. God is not to blame for the evil that wicked people commit in our world. That'd be Psalm 73, wouldn't it? In Psalm chapter 73, I mentioned the fellow by the name of Asaph a moment ago. This is the psalm that he wrote. In Psalm 73, look there in verse number 3. In Psalm 73 in verse 3, he says, I was envious of the arrogant, When I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Drop down to verse 6. He says, describing these wicked people, he says, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Asaph was asking, why do these wicked people, wicked people who are doing violent things, why does it seem like they don't ever get their comeuppance? It seems like nothing bad ever happens to them. What exactly is up with that? And then he ponders about it. He thinks about it a little longer. Drop down to verse 16 now. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went to the sanctuary of God and then I discerned their end. Asaph says, I finally realized that God will in His time and in His way, He will mete out that perfect justice. I may not understand everything about what God is doing right now, but I most certainly do not blame God. And that is a key for us. Just because we don't understand everything about how God is working, that does not mean that God is at fault. We already covered who's at fault in the first point, didn't we? Who is at fault? Who is the source of the wickedness and the terror that we see in our world? That's the devil. Satan is to blame for that. And God is going to judge evildoers who would follow after the temptations of Satan. But I want you to listen to me. We do not. We do not stand in judgment of God. I think about what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 9 and verse 20. Who are you, oh man, to answer back to God? It's not our point. None of us are in any position whatsoever to begin judging God for what He does or does not do. We don't know everything that's happening. We do not know the future. We do not know how God is maybe using all of the people in these circumstances to accomplish His will. We do not know how God might be using these events in order to accomplish some greater purpose. We have a very finite knowledge. But God? God does know. God knows all. All of that and more. He is working on a much broader and bigger scale than you and I could ever even begin to comprehend. Which means we're going to have to just keep trusting the Lord because because we know that He loves us. If there is one certainty that we can just hedge our bets on and put all of our chips on, put all of our eggs in this one basket, it's this. We know for certain that our God loves us fiercely. Look at Romans chapter 8, please. In Romans chapter 8, Paul discusses here how all kinds of terrible pain and persecution and suffering can and often will befall the people of God. But Paul reminds us that through all of these bad things, he says there is one constant. In Romans chapter 8, look in verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, Who can be against us? Whoa, Paul, how do you know that God is for us? Maybe God's the one who's causing all this bad stuff. Maybe He's the source of all of this suffering. No. Verse 32. He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, or gun, or bomb? No, verse 37, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Our God loves us. In fact, if that wasn't clear to you, it was settled about 2,000 years ago on a cross. He loves us so much that He allowed His Son to be the victim. Think about this. He allowed His Son to be the victim of one of the most gruesome acts of violence. He was murdered. God's Son subjected Himself to that pain and that suffering so that we might have the forgiveness of sins. And while our kids, yes, they may struggle with the why question when these bad things happen, they may never fully understand and grasp. We may never fully understand and grasp why these things occur and are allowed to occur. The one thing we can know without a shadow of a doubt is that our Lord loves us. What do we teach our kids? What's one of those first songs we teach our kids as children? Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. Which leads us then to this final affirmation this morning. We may not understand all of the reasons as to why God allows acts of evil to happen in our world. But I will tell you this, I think without a shadow of a doubt, we can know and we can affirm that crime and violence and death, they serve as a reminder to us that this world is not our home. Whenever terrible events happen, like the one that happened in Parkland, Florida last week, And our kids begin to start asking some of those questions. They start asking some of the why questions. Really at the heart of that, what they really want to know is they want to know, are we safe? Are we going to be safe? And as parents, I realize that we want to assure them in every way we possibly can. We want to tell them that, that yes, we are safe. And so what do we do? Well, we start reminding them of all of the people who are working diligently kind of behind the scenes to try to ensure our safety. We talk to them about our military personnel, both here and abroad. There are those who work for the intelligence agencies, who gather intelligence and information to to stop many of these bad things before they ever even happen. And then even kind of on even a more local level, we talk to them about our, our policemen and our policewomen who put their lives on the line every day to serve and to protect us. There are so many people, so many factors that are working to keep us safe. But if your kid pushes you a little bit, they keep asking, they keep asking, and what they're looking for is they're looking for 100% confirmation that this will never, ever happen to us, that we will never be the victim of a terrorist attack. That we will never have to worry about a mass shooting in our school or in our church building. You're not going to be able to give that 100% confirmation, are you? Even though statistically the chances are remote, and even though there are all of these people that are working to help ensure and keep us safe, none of us can guarantee with 100% certainty that nothing bad will ever happen to them. And so what do we say about that? I'll tell you what we say about that. We say that just reminds us how much we want to go to heaven. Because heaven is the only place where we're going to be 100% safe and secure. And that's what John shows us in Revelation chapter 21. Would you find Revelation 21? In these beautiful descriptions of heaven... John points us, among other things, to the safety and the security of that heavenly abode. In Revelation chapter 21, read with me, beginning in verse 22. He says, And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine upon it, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. Think about that. There'll be no darkness in heaven. No dark places where evildoers can can crouch and lurk and hide, and then they can emerge from, and they can hurt, and they can assault you. No. This is a city of light. Verse 25 goes on to say that its gates will never be shut by day. You don't have to lock your doors in heaven. Don't have to worry about intruders in heaven. Verse 27 because nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. In fact, John continues this marvelous description on into chapter 22. Drop down to verse 5 of chapter 22. He says that in that place, night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever. And ever. I wonder sometimes if maybe the maybe the problem that we have with crime and violence and terrorism is that it ends up disturbing our little bit of heaven that we're trying to construct down here. These little kingdoms that we're trying to build for ourselves and make our lives so comfortable here on this earth. The famous author C.S. Lewis, he lived back during World War II. And at the height of World War II, he wrote the following, and think about that. Think about it at a time of great bloodshed, not just in this land, but all the world over. He said the following. He said, if we think that we are building up a heaven on earth, or if we think that we can turn a place of temporary pilgrimage into a permanent city that satisfies the soul of man, we are disillusioned, and not a moment too soon. And I think Mr. Lewis was exactly right. Because if we thought that we somehow were building such a great and wonderful place that was somehow going to just permanently satisfy us on this earth, I think we should actually be thankful that we would be so disillusioned by shootings and terrorism and violence. Because what those things do is they serve as a jarring reminder that this world here it's not so good. We do not want to raise children who are rooted in this world, whose treasures are on this earth, whose heart is stuck here because the truth of the matter is here isn't all that great. And So when a school shooting happens or when a plane gets hijacked and flown through a building, what happens is, is we are powerfully reminded that we don't want to live here. We want to live there because there is good. There with God is very good. There is the only place where there's going to be peace and safety and security and life and there'll be no death and no pain. There, that's where we want to go. And so every time we are exposed to another example of how awful our world is, How full of sin our world is, how broken our world is, my friends, that should do nothing but just spur us on even more to want to go to heaven. And may I just even add right here that atheists, agnostics, unbelievers, they can't guarantee their kids 100% safety either, can they? But you know what else? They also can't tell their children, someday, someday, we're going to gather around the throne of God. And in that day, we'll never have to be afraid ever, ever again. Do you see how Christians, Christians are the only ones who are really able to address this issue. Now we began this morning in Psalm 55, where David contemplated all of the violence that was happening around him, and how he said he wished he had wings like a dove so that he could just fly away from it all. Would you notice at the very end of that chapter, I'll put the verses on the screen, the very end of that chapter, in verses 22 and 23, David says there, cast your burden on the Lord, and He will sustain you. The Lord's going to give you the strength to cope with whatever's happening in your world. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. But you, O God, you will cast them down into the pit of destruction. Men of blood and treachery, they shall not live out half their days. But I, I will trust in you. Just like the rest of you. I am appalled. I'm almost at a loss for words. When I see what happened last week, I heard Brother Dwayne reference what happened in Florida last Wednesday night in the opening prayer, and I hadn't read the news yet, so I really wasn't even aware of what he was even referring to. And I sat down at my computer after services were over Wednesday night, and it just took my breath away. I clicked on a video, and I watched a video of what was happening inside that school, and it just took my breath away. I am very disturbed by the violence that's happening in our world. I pray for it to end. I pray for your safety, and I pray for mine. And I pray for the safety of all of our children. I want to tell you this, more than anything, as our world falls deeper and deeper into degradation and ungodliness of every kind, my greatest prayer is that you and I We'll say what David says. I trust in You, God. And we don't just say it, but we live that so that the day comes we can all then live with Him for eternity. And that is the hope that we must then give and pass on to our children that this world, this world is not our home. If You're not a Christian this morning. Prepare to sing the Song of invitation. I need to tell you that if you're not a child of God, you're not faithfully serving Him, then number one, you really don't have a whole lot of hope for navigating through all of the wickedness and the darkness of this world. And maybe even worse than that, secondly, you don't have any hope for the glories that await the faithful in heaven. Sin is separating you from God, and it is separating you from all that God would offer. But by the grace of God, And by the blood of God's precious Son, you have the opportunity to do just that, to put your trust in Him and have all your sins forgiven through your obedience to the Gospel. If you're here this morning and you're ready to confess your faith in Jesus as Lord and be baptized in water for the remission of your sins as Acts 2 and 38 instructs, all things are ready for that to happen today. Brother or sister, if you're not living faithfully, maybe that trust, maybe it's diminished and it's not been what it ought to be. Repent of that. We can pray with you and encourage you in some way to serve the Lord in a better way. And we stand ready to do that as well. Whatever your need may be, would you make that known? Why not you do that right now while we stand and while we sing?